I think we can all agree that Western New York has had a storied sports history. From the iconic moments that had us all on the edge of our seats, to the heartbreaks that we never quite got over. No, this isn't a plug for our sports exhibit, Icons, Makers and Moments of Buffalo Sports, although you should definitely check it out if you're a fan. I bring it up because among all those near misses that we've endured, the wide rights, the no goals, the Music City miracles, the heart-pounding final seconds of an NBA playoff game are probably something most of us have never endured. But for those of us who remember, those who did endure, in the 1970s, Buffalo had one of the most exciting teams in the league. But even that wasn't good enough to keep the franchise in Buffalo. The Buffalo Braves were a beloved yet short-lived franchise lasting for only eight seasons throughout the 1970s. The team was formed on January 20th, 1970, when the NBA awarded the expansion franchise to Buffalo, along with two others in Cleveland and Portland. To bring the team to Buffalo, a syndicate of investors led by Philip Ryan paid a sum of $3.7 million to the NBA. The team would play its games at Buffalo Memorial Auditorium, a home which it would have to share with the city's other new franchise, the NHL's Buffalo Sabres. Completed in 1940, the odd, as it was affectionately known, could originally seat between 12 and 15,000 fans for sporting events. However, the arena underwent renovations to increase its capacity for its new teams. Its roof was raised 24 feet, allowing for an additional upper level of seating. And on January 31st, 1970, it was the Buffalo Braves who set the arena's all-time attendance record for a sporting event at 19,226. Now, to run the new franchise, owners hired former New York Knicks and St. Bonaventure head coach Eddie Donovan as the club's first general manager. And for its first head coach, they looked to former Syracuse national star Dolph Shays. Just four years earlier, Chase had coached his Philadelphia 76ers to the East Division Finals, but was defeated by the Celtics in a five-game series. He was given the coveted NBA Coach of the Year award, but was fired following the loss to Boston. And after working as the NBA's supervisor of referees for a few years, the Braves were his second chance. Now, to answer the question of how the Braves got their name, Well, like many other professional sports teams, including our beloved Buffalo Bills, the Braves got theirs through a naming contest. Over 14,000 entrants submitted over 1,000 unique names with Braves ultimately winning out. In a recent Buffalo News story regarding the origins and cultural insensitivities of the name, reporter Eric Brady noted, quote, in a contest with over 14,000 entries, more than 30 suggested Braves. So just think how many worthy names were left behind. The team said the idea was to honor the Seneca Nation, but there's no honor in being made a mascot.
before too long, it became all too apparent that the newly formed syndicate didn't have the capital needed to properly run an NBA franchise. And the league was desperate to find a new owner. So the NBA approached Buffalo's Paul Snyder. Snyder was fresh off selling Freezer Queen, the frozen food company that pioneered the TV dinner when the league asked him to consider buying the franchise. After he and his son attended a preseason game in Niagara Falls that ended with an exciting one-point Braves victory, Snyder agreed. With their new owner in place, the Braves opened their inaugural season on October 14th with a 107-92 win over one of the NBA's other new teams, the Cleveland Cavaliers, before a somewhat less than capacity crowd of 7,129 at Memorial Auditorium. Led by little-known players like Don May, Dick Garrett, Emmett Bryant, John Hummer, and Bob Kaufman, the Braves struggled through their first season, finishing with a lackluster 22-60 record. This earned the team a seventh-place finish in the Eastern Conference. Outside of landing rookie sensation Randy Smith, the Braves' roster changed little, and the next season, they finished again with an identical 22-60 record. But Smith was a rare point of hope for the fledgling new franchise. To add to his popularity, he was a local product. He was born in Suffolk County, but Smith had attended Buffalo State College, where he was an All-American in three sports, soccer, track, and of course, basketball. In 1970, he led the Bengals to an appearance in the NCAA College Division Final Four, where they were finally eliminated by Tennessee State. attendance, Snyder was pressured by the NBA to secure weekend dates for the Braves to play home games at the Odd. However, the Sabres played their games on Sunday nights, and Canisius College Basketball had the rights to Saturdays for their home games. Therefore, the Braves were left with Tuesday and Friday nights, which, at the time, competed with local high school games. Snyder tried negotiating with Canisius College president, Father James Dembski, for some Saturday night slots, but the two were unable to come to a compromise. Dembski was protecting Little Three Basketball, which was the name given to the three teams from Canisius, Niagara, and St. Bonaventure, and feared if he gave up Saturdays, it would destroy college ball in Western New York. With the first two seasons' dismal results, the franchise needed to do something to turn things around. Enter Jack Ramsey, the former coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, Ramsey became the Braves' new coach for the 1972-73 season, and though the team's record was still mediocre going 21-61 in his first year, Ramsey and Donovan began to put the pieces in place to make Buffalo a perennial playoff team. Now, to further move things in the right direction, the team needed a star player, someone who could reinvigorate their roster, and they knew exactly who they wanted. Bob McAdoo, the rookie out of North Carolina who led his team to the Final Four, averaging 19.5 points and 10.1 rebounds per game. 
Following his junior season, McAdoo declared for the NBA draft and Buffalo snatched him up with the second overall pick. But there was just one problem. McAdoo had also been drafted by the Virginia Squires of the American Basketball Association and had apparently signed a contract with them. In fact, the situation with the Squires is perhaps why the Portland Trailblazers didn't select McAdoo with the first overall pick and instead took LaRue Martin, a figure of somewhat lesser repute. Shortly after the draft, Snyder called Squires owner Earl Foreman and set up a meeting at New York City's Essex Hotel. Snyder entered the meeting with a duffel bag and a typewritten piece of paper. He told Foreman that it had come to his attention that McAdoo had signed an illegal contract to join the Squires. Since McAdoo was under 21 years old and was not accompanied by a third party, the contract was not legally binding. Now about that duffel bag. Snyder told Foreman that there was 50,000 in cash in the bag, as well as a piece of paper stating that the rights to McAdoo were owned by the Buffalo Braves. Snyder reportedly said, quote, I'm gonna leave this duffel bag and piece of paper on the table and walk around the block. When I walk around the block, I want you to sign the piece of paper and you can take the duffel bag full of money and we have a deal. If, when I return, the duffel bag is still here and you've not signed the paper, I will sue you for signing him to an illegal contract. Snyder walked around the block and when he returned, the duffel bag was gone the paper was signed, and future MVP Bob McAdoo was officially a Brave. Now, as I said, the 72-73 season was not an immediate success, but it laid the foundations of a much stronger team. By the start of the 73-74 season, the Braves had drafted guard Ernie DiGregorio from Providence College and had acquired power forward Garfield Hurd and forward Jim McMillan via trade. The team also changed their team colors, shifting to Columbia Blue from orange and black. The new look franchise showed immediate improvement, finishing with a 42 and 40 record and earning the team its first playoff berth. McAdoo proved to be a solid investment. His unique mixture of athleticism and fundamentals made him a dominant figure on the court. At six foot nine, he was considered a power forward or center, but what made him truly special was his ability to move to the perimeter and shoot like a guard. This combination of skill and size made McAdoo an offensive juggernaut. In 1973, he began a string of three consecutive seasons in which he led the league in scoring, averaging 30.6 points per game. Now, McAdoo's teammate, Ernie DiGregorio, led the league in assists in 1973, as well as free throw percentage, while the team itself was at the top of the league with an average of 111.6 points per game. 
the talent of the players paired with the team's fast-paced playing style made the Braves among the league's most exciting franchises. The city quickly caught on and the team began picking up new fans and their attendance increased dramatically. Heading into the 73-74 NBA playoffs, the first playoff appearance for the team, the Braves were slated to play the top seed in the East, Boston. The Celtics had a formidable lineup with players like John Havlicek, Jojo White, and Dave Cohens. The Celtics won two of the first three games in the series, but the Braves stole a victory at home with a 115-105 win in front of 17,500 screaming fans at the odd. Now, game four was an absolute classic, a physical, tightly contested game that was so close, it kept the record-breaking 18,119 fans on the edge of their seats. The Braves put up an incredible fight and McAdoo was, of course, unstoppable, single-handedly scoring 44. With only seconds left in the game, the score was tied at 102. The Braves took possession of the ball and Ernie DiGregorio hurriedly dribbled the ball up the court and fired a pass to McAdoo. With the crowd at the odd collectively holding its breath, McAdoo fired off a quick shot. But the man who'd been on fire all night was uncharacteristically off the mark. The ball hit the rim and with the hopes of thousands of Buffalonians about to be dashed, Braves forward Jim McMillan miraculously tapped in the rebound just before the buzzer sounded. The Buffalo crowd erupted in deafening screams as the Braves won the game, 104-102. Unfortunately, this win did not propel the Braves to a victory in their next contest. The team fell to Boston in Game 5 and returned to Buffalo needing a victory to force a seventh and deciding game. In front of another sellout crowd, the Braves put on a clinic. McAdoo poured in 40 points and Hurd and DiGregorio each pitched in another 20. The game was close throughout and Buffalo trailed 104 to 100 with 30 seconds left. Jack Marin stole the ball and fed McAdoo for the dunk. And then McAdoo stole the ball again and tied the score at 104. The play sent the crowd into a frenzy. Now, in a moment that Buffalo sports fans will find all too painfully familiar, the game took an unexpected turn. With only seven seconds left, John Havlicek's shot was blocked by McAdoo. Celtic star Jojo White picked up the errant rebound and lofted a wild shot, with both he and McAdoo falling to the floor. Buffalo fans were shocked as referee Daryl Gerritsen called a foul on McAdoo. White made two of the three free throws, and even though the replay clearly showed there was still one second left, the referee signaled the end of the game. Braves coach Ramsey was livid, not only because the foul was called in the first place, but because no time was put back on the clock. The Celtics went on to win the NBA championship, while the Braves went home wondering what might have been. The Braves roster returned for the 74-75 NBA season mostly intact, but they did add veteran guard Bob Weiss. 
Despite losing Di Gregorio to injury for 51 games, the Braves posted their best record in team history, going 49-33 and and finishing with the third best record in the league. The Braves were among the league's best teams. McAdoo again led the NBA in scoring, and his incredible year earned him the league's highest honor, the MVP trophy. Randy Smith, the former Buffalo State star, also blossomed, becoming the team's second highest scorer, averaging 17.8 points per game and leading the club in assists with 6.5 per contest. In the first round of the playoffs that year, the Braves met the Washington Bullets, who had a record of 60 and 22. The Bullets were a powerhouse of a club led by forward Alvin Hayes, center Wes Unseld, and guard Phil Chenier. Buffalo lost a hard-fought series four games to three, losing game seven in Washington with a score of 115 to 96. The Braves lost despite heroics from Bob McAdoo, who averaged 37.4 points per game in the series. The Braves were back in the NBA playoffs again in 1976 due in part to Buffalo adding both 6'11 Tom McMillan and 6'11 John Shoemate to its already robust team. They finished the regular season in second place in the Atlantic Division with a record of 46-36, behind only their rivals, the Boston Celtics. McAdoo led the league in scoring for the third consecutive year, and Smith put in another solid season, averaging 21.8 points per game and leading the team in assists. The Braves qualified as the fifth seed, and a new playoff format matched them against number four, Philadelphia, in the first round of a best of three series. Buffalo and Philly split the first two games in close contests. The third and deciding game was at the Spectrum in Philly. Again, it was a close match that came down to the last few seconds. As regulation time was slipping away, the Braves trailed 111 to 109. McAdoo drove the lane but missed a tough shot, and with literally one second left, McAdoo was fouled by the 76ers. With the focus and ease of a veteran MVP, McAdoo calmly sank both free throws, sending the game to overtime in what had to be the most pressure-packed moment in franchise history. The lead traded hands multiple times in OT. That is, until John Shoemate scored two critical baskets for the Braves, giving them the lead in the final seconds. Then, Ken Charles was fouled and sank both free throws, clinching a one-point victory for Buffalo. It was the Braves' first and only playoff series victory. With the win, the Braves advanced to the conference semifinals, where they would face, guess who, the Boston Celtics. The rematch gave the team an opportunity to avenge the heartbreaking loss of two years earlier. Those hopes were quickly dashed, however, with Boston winning two of the first three games. Despite their best efforts, the Braves could not find a way to win in Boston. The Celtics won Game 5, 99-88, and everything hinged on Game 6. Buffalo intensely battled Boston throughout the game, and in what is becoming a theme here, it was an intense and close match that came down to the last 40 seconds. 
Buff State grad Randy Smith made a series of spectacular plays which brought the game to within two points, with the momentum shifting in Buffalo's favor. But then, another whistle. Official Daryl Gerritsen, remember him, whose name was still notorious with Braves fans from the 74 playoffs, made another controversial call. He claimed that Smith was out of bounds when he initially caught the ball, before his final basket. Basket nullified, game over, season over. It was another difficult and disappointing end to an intense series with the Celtics. Boston went on to defeat the Phoenix Suns and capture the NBA championship. Again. One day after the loss of the Celtics, Braves owner Paul Snyder fired coach Ramsey and replaced him with Tate's Locke, who had only one year of professional experience. Under ever-increasing pressure from the NBA, Snyder was also still trying to work out a compromise to secure weekend game dates. This, paired with their very new coach, led to a tumultuous offseason to say the least. In June, Snyder threatened to move the franchise to Florida if he could not sell at least 5,000 season tickets. Buffalo fans responded by purchasing the tickets, of course, and Snyder extended the initial deadline he set. In the meantime, the city of Buffalo successfully obtained a restraining order against a proposed departure of the team. NBA Commissioner Larry O'Brien respected the order and delayed any action on Snyder's request. Further changes came when Snyder forged an unlikely partnership with John Y. Brown, the owner of the ABA Kentucky Colonials. Together, they worked out a deal for Brown to become part owner of the Braves. The implications of Brown's influence in ownership were felt almost immediately. He spearheaded the sale of Jim McMillan to the Knicks and then traded or released Charles, Hurd, and Marin. There were rumors swirling that Brown was trying to cut costs, and they certainly appeared to be true. Despite all the changes, Buffalo managed to defeat the Celtics 118-107 on November 13th, putting them in a tie for first place with the 76ers. But it would be the last time the franchise would ever be in first place. They lost six games in a row, and eight of the next ten. Then on December 6th, in arguably the most stunning move in Braves history, the team traded McAdoo and Tom McMillan to the Knicks for center John Gianelli and $3 million in cash. It ranks as one of the most one-sided swaps in the history of the NBA, and it was the final nail in the coffin. In a matter of six weeks, Brown had given away two of the top 50 NBA players of all time, Malone and McAdoo. Following the trade, the team unraveled. They finished the season with a record of 30 and 52. Attendance also plummeted, and at some points, the Braves had trouble drawing more than 6,000 fans at a game. By March of 1977, Snyder decided to step away completely from the franchise. 
he announced he was selling his remaining ownership share to Brown. Brown then hired Cotton Fitzsimmons as his new coach, and the team suffered through a 27-55 and 55 season. The Braves' final game in the NBA came on April 9th in Boston Garden. Neither the Celtics nor the Braves had any real playoff hopes, but the game was memorable for other reasons. John Havlicek played his final game in the NBA, scoring 29 points in a 131-114 win. It also was the final game ever played by Di Gregorio, whose 1974 knee injury still had lasting effects on both his career and the Braves franchise. With the dismantling of the team complete and the apathy of Buffalo fans reaching new heights, the Braves' attendance tanked. Brown informed the city on May 8, 1978, that the Braves were opting out of their lease at Memorial Auditorium because the team had fallen below the threshold of 4,500 season tickets. And while the news was devastating, it was anything but unexpected. The writing had been on the wall. The 1977 season was the end of NBA basketball in Buffalo. And in a rather shocking move, Brown announced that he was trading franchises with, of all people, Irving Levin, owner of none other than the Boston Celtics. Levin had put the NBA in a pickle as he wanted to move his team to the West Coast, closer to his home. The league was opposed to moving one of its most successful franchises from Boston to San Diego. NBA attorney and future commissioner David Stern orchestrated the swap and the movement of the Braves to San Diego. It was a complicated deal as some of the Braves players went to Boston while others went to San Diego. Brown became the owner of the Celtics and Levin was now the owner of the former Buffalo franchise, renaming the team the San Diego Clippers. It was a sad ending to NBA basketball in Buffalo. The city was done a disservice by both poor ownership and NBA politics alike. As Fitzsimmons said after the deal was announced, quote, I think Buffalo got a raw deal as far as the NBA. Basketball fans of Western New York felt the same way. Even Brown, years later, said to the Buffalo News, quote, we didn't understand the potential for pro basketball in Buffalo. Today's story was researched and written by sports historian Greg Detranter and produced by me, Anthony Greco. Greg's new book, co-authored with Jeff Miller, is titled Relics, The History of the Buffalo Bills in Objects and Memorabilia, and will be available in August of 2021 and available at the Buffalo History Museum and other select booksellers. The Buffalo History Museum receives operating support from Erie County, the City of Buffalo, the New York State Council on the Arts with the support of Governor Andrew Cuomo, and the New York State Legislature. Additional support is provided by m and Bank and from our donors, members, and friends.